Hello, welcome to Positively Entertaining Conversations with me, your host, Guru Brando, and my more regular, yet still sometimes curious guest. You're going to make me say it. I am. Lady Elizabeth Otto McReynolds Gross. There you go. It's got a nice ring to it. I paid for it, so yeah, you're damn straight. You're going to use it. Good evening, fellow listeners. Welcome to the Positively Entertaining Conversation. Show, our discussions are real, our people are real. So come, join us for some laughs and maybe some tears. Join our family on this magical rainbow ride. Please welcome my brother from another mother, my friend, my confidant, Guru. And his curious guest, we just don't know. So it is time to sit back and enjoy the show. Are you ready? I am ready. No, you're not, because you're going to drink. Me too. Me, I drink. It's going to be fun and exciting. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. What are you doing now? Fussing I'm just with stuff. my drinks further up this way so that I don't have to read Spill it so you don't spill it? Correct. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Go. All right. Um, so a few quick things. Number one, I want to give a shout out to our friend Mandy, who has worked very hard to get her, not life on track, but her health and her wellness um, on track this past six months. Really, this past year, but this past six months. And she's doing amazing. We recently hung out with her. Do you remember what we did? Yes, we went to that um, Gaslight District, which was really cool. Yeah, because it was for your birthday, right? Yeah, and okay. I really loved that. I, mean, I was, it was so hot. God, it was so hot, but it was really cool. So tell uh, the listeners about what it was. Um, it was kind of like a, I guess, a fest where they have a lot of stands up you know they have a lot of food stands like vendors to, yeah vendors and then a lot of um, things for sale people you know bringing in the some of their artwork and selling it like paintings that were fantastic you know and they were costing like thousands of dollars yeah they were and pretty cool they were very very cool and there's a lot of really neat little places and nooks and antiques and and things to look at it's like everywhere you you look there was something to see what sucks about um mandy um doing better in her health and wellness is now she doesn't eat like shit and she's lost a lot of weight and she's feeling better. She has fibromyalgia um, and she's feeling much better because she doesn't have the extra weight and she's, you know, doing the stuff that she wants to do. And uh, it's interesting because now we don't go out to eat as much like to the good places that you know, um, we like yeah. the shit food. We don't go eat shit food with her anymore. And it sucks, but at least Chris, her husband, still uh, brings us to Flavortown, right? We um, we had the best cookies there. Those were grandma's cookies. Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so Chris turned us on to those. So that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, those, those cookies were really good. Yes, especially if you medicate with medicinal marijuana. <laughs> then those cookies are fantastic. Did you read some cookies? 
cookies um, and cookies and weed. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I was looking for when we were there is I wanted to see one of those little vendors that has the specialty store for left-handed people. Oh, nice. You're right. Have you seen those? Like Ned Flanders, right? Because Dad's left-handed, you're left-handed, um, a lot of the a lot of my friends are left-handed, um, and so I thought that it would be neat to get gifts for Christmas for left-handed people. And do you remember how last podcast we were doing the questions that Andy Tobias's dad mm -hmm. um, yeah. brought? Okay, so I opened up the folder to do this other. Th so he gave me these questions, but then he also gave me these weekend experiments. Okay, that he has his students do. And the very first weekend experiment that I pulled off the top of the stack is totally related to what we just talked about. So now I want to, on Wednesdays when we do the podcast, we're going to look at what, the ex what one of the experiments are. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to do that over the weekend. And then the next week, report back. Right, right. Okay. <coughs> so, excuse me. It's not a COVID cough. So this will be the weekend experiment for this weekend. Okay. So I'm going to read it. And this is what I want us to do. Your experiment this weekend is to spend the weekend training yourself to use the hand you do not normally use to do everything. If you're right-handed, use your left hand. If you're left-handed, use your right hand. To write, eat, brush your teeth, hold your food, fork or spoon, Wave, open doors, turn on lights, dial the phone, hold the phone, play video games. They have left-handed settings. So pick your nose, wave, point, comb your hair, pick up things, grab things, everything. Switch hands for everything. We will discuss the results when we return. So the interesting thing about that is you do not do everything with your left hand, okay. even though you're left-handed. I am a lot ambidextrous. Yeah, and you know what I am? I am solely right-handed uh no that's a lie i actually type um with my left hand if i'm writing with my right hand i type with my left and um when i use a calculator or anything like that i was trained in business management and stuff like that so i can use my left hand to do that and play piano yeah. which is probably why i can right because i play piano you know both hands piano so um I think writing is the only thing I exclusively do with my left hand. Yeah, I think I've seen you do everything with, with your right hand. You just played with my weenus. <laughs> Beth is playing with my weenus. And she does that all the time. It's God, a habit. I can't help it. Why is that a thing with you? I don't know. God. Leave my weenus Probably alone, lady. It's like there's very little sensation there. And so it's like a, I don't know, I, I do this myself a lot. It's just... A thing I do. I don't know. I'm weird. You are weird. Well, you used to flip my lips, so I'm glad you don't yeah, do that, that anymore. Yeah, but that was just being a, an idiot. Yeah, for a long time. And considering that I have OCD, every single time your finger touched my lips, it freaked me out. Yeah. So it's like, it wasn't the fact that you flipped my lip. It was what I was just exposed to. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was horrible for a while. Um, you notice I dressed up for you? Yes. Yes, I notice. I like the shirt. It's... What, what did they say? It's a little formal, but you also want to, you're also there to party. <laughs> yes, exactly. I am here to party. Speaking of, we have the big question. Hmm. 
So last time we asked a question and we expanded upon it on the podcast, right? Do you remember what the last question was? What was your earliest childhood memory? I was about to say the Star Wars one. I yeah. remember that. What was your earliest childhood memory? And we talked about that after the podcast. And I brought to your attention that perhaps since that was your earliest childhood memory, that might be why you developed this collection of Star Wars stuff. Maybe. Um, I knew that. Um, and also why you liked really like going to theaters. Like that's a thing for you, especially oh yeah. sci-fi. The theater experience is wonderful for me. And for me, it's traumatizing. <laughs> the theater for me is just tragic. It's traumatizing. I have to sit somewhere and watch something in the dark. Yeah, I get to be fully immersed uh, in the story. And I am not a type of person who likes to invest enough energy into full immersion. I feel out of control if I'm fully immersed in something else um, just because I have PTSD. So I don't like to um, ever be fully immersed. I and There's things I don't want to be immersed in, yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> no, I just, I, I can't ever take the risk. There's too much. You know, it has to be some sort of animated happy movie for me to go to the theater. But I don't like looking at or watching movies in the theater unless it's some sort of like Disney or... Well, like Ready Player One. That was so fun to watch in the theater. It was. That was fun to watch. But yet again, that's one of those things that has to be really childish. Yeah. It can't be um, adult-themed or any of that. I yeah, just... I'm, I'm not going to any war movies. Yeah, the well, it's not, it's not just war movies. For me, my life was war. So it's like I have a whole lot that um, I just don't want to experience. We went and watched It, and I couldn't sit in there and watch It. I had to stand out in the lobby the whole time. I didn't realize it'd be so triggery for me. Yeah, but second, yeah. The, yeah, the re remake of that yeah, the remake. really brutal. Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> wow. about. So I was impressed. Yeah, I, I was not impressed. I avoided. So whereas you were impressed, I was like, nope, time to get out. Um, but... I feel like that early childhood ex memory, that experience you had, is probably what encouraged you to feel good collecting Star Wars stuff. Because then it recalls, and you don't remember until you remember. Right. You know? And so every time you looked at it, and every time you identify with Star Wars, you remember. You remember your first time watching it in the theater. And um, that's kind of ties... A little bit into my um, my affinity for horror movies. Um, you know, it, it used to give a, a like a thrill. You know, getting that fear, and so so seeing the, the movie like it. You know, seeing you know because movies don't do that anymore because you know I know how they work and I'm not a kid anymore. You only get thrilled by things you haven't experienced, and so none of that stuff you've experienced most yeah. of that stuff I have it's not a thrill horror movies aren't thrilling for me they're real life well, I mean like the unrealistic ones like it you know it's like it's not unrealistic we manifest in our minds exactly what it is that we feel and what sucks is that essentially it is the mind of you know someone who suffers and that's why I don't, like, watching horror movies, you have to realize that somebody wrote it, and the person that wrote it either has first-hand knowledge of it or knows someone who does. 
And that, to me, is disturbing. And for me, it didn't start bothering me until I did forensics. And then horror was real. When horror became real to me, I, I stopped wanting it. And, you know, you want it because it's not real. You're curious. You know, it's that, especially when you're a kid, the reason kids are drawn to that is because it's a curiosity. They've never seen it. The, the um, On Stand By Me, where they saw the dead body, that's why they were so, you know, shook is because until that moment, it, death wasn't real. Right. You know, and so when you experience trauma and tragedy and et cetera, et cetera, you don't want to watch it, you right. know, and you don't want to be around it. And, and um, I know that you watched Aliens when you were young mm -hmm. and that affected you. So talk about that. You were seven. You, you remember there's listeners, right? Not just viewers. <laughs> yes, I was seven. Um, pretty sure I was seven. Uh, we were went to stay with my grandparents, and they were really kind of like, "Meh, how you doing?" You know, free spirited and and the sort of hippie vibe, except somehow not really weird. <laughs> like you know what me? I'm talking about? Like me? I um, have a hippie vibe, but not. <laughs> I have a mullet. What hippie has a mullet? Yeah. And so they just, you know, it was radar. It was on Showtime, and Showtime. they didn't think anything of it. They're just like, oh, you want to watch this? It's going to be scary. And I was like, yeah, I want to watch it. And like, all right, if you have nightmares, I'm like, okay. And, um, yeah, I watched it and scared the hell out of me. <laughs> we repeated that but behavior with I your I kind of got addicted to that fear response. You know, and I think that's what I was chasing with all those other horror movies. Like, oh, I gotta feel that. So, again. what happened after you got scared? What happened? What did you do? Did you go sleep with them? Did they comfort oh, no. you? I slept on my own. Okay, so did they talk to you about it? Was it something shared between you? Oh, no, I you fully and... internalized it because wow. I told them that I would not be afraid, and I was afraid, and I told them I wouldn't be, so I didn't tell them I was. You lied to your grandparents. Like at seven years old, I wouldn't old, tell anybody just... I was afraid of anything. It didn't matter if I was afraid of it. You or not. had such a big ego at seven. Yeah. I mean, that. Why was your ego so big at seven? I don't know. Um, if it was just who, maybe who it was kept, my ego. Hold or on. Was... Well, no, it was your ego. Who kept telling you that you were special? Oh, mom always told me that. Okay, so because whenever you're when you are raised by someone who every single thing you do is special. You very much internalize and don't want to talk about things that aren't special about you. Yeah, about the time I was like 9 or 10, I started to, to realize that, you know, the things that mom said, you know, weren't entirely true. So she liked to blow smoke up your ass? Yeah, and um, I resented her for a long time for that because when the, when the real world showed its face to me, I was like, what the hell is this shit? This isn't, what? And you know? that's why I have a job. I have a job because parents blow smoke up their kids' asses, and they're not real with them. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but kids will grow up, just like you said. You'll grow up at seven years old where you refuse to tell your parents something that you're feeling or thinking because you told them something different. It's the principle of the thing. It's a very militant mind, and I hope that the listeners and that the viewers, you know, can't uh, say that for themselves because it caused you a lot of grief, hiding and internalizing fear.
right? Yeah, but I, I really had to rationalize it, you know. So in my little seven-year-old mind, you know, E.T. scared me. Criminy. <laughs> I was afraid e. of E.T. E.T. scared me, too. He was just a creepy-looking alien. I um, think he scared most of the 80s. But, I mean, he never really did any harm or anything, you know, in the Xenomorph. No, but he looked dishes. creepy. And but so you understand. In the dark, in my mind, you know, I was like, that Excuse thing me. is in there. And, you know, I had to tell myself, okay, I already know this is a movie, and that thing is not real. At seven, you were saying that to yourself? Yeah. You were saying, this is a movie, it's not real. Yeah, because it's what they told me. Okay. Well, that obviously helped you because you developed this love of horror. And so you have this love of horror because you don't know what's in the shadow. Hmm. Yeah. And see, I know what's in the shadow. And it ain't E.T. <laughs> it is not E.T. And But that's what's unique about us is because I was raised as a woman. And I was a victim of a lot of things that women fall victim to, uh, in the age that we were raised. And um, so I can see kind of how how it can go really wrong. And I think that that's what makes me a nice guy. And you can see how things can go really wrong as far as how being treated as a man can affect someone. So you would never treat me the way that I sometimes treated you. You know, right. when the roles were reversed. Like, I know that for me, I would never expect you to cook, clean, manage the kids, and do any special favors for me. I would never look at you and want you to do any of that. I would right. never require it. Because it was required of me for a long time. So I wouldn't do that. What's something that you wouldn't ever want me to do or deal with because you dealt with it as a man I think one of the biggest things I ever had a problem with was the absolute pressure to perform when it comes down to it and it matters in that moment you know that kind of pressure is is difficult for me to get through and there's a lot of times I focus in that pressure and I and I deliver and there's times that I don't. That's ego pressure. And that's why I brought it up because I brought up, you know, you had a, a big ego at seven, right? To to decide to internalize it instead of express it because that's what keeps us doing that. So that pressure to perform, you felt at seven. That's what that is. That's that pressure to perform. So that's one of your earliest memories and you suffered the most with performance pressure. So you see, we just discovered kind of another little tie-in. Do you understand what I mean? Because throughout your life, you had that performance pressure. Yeah, always feeling like substandard. That yeah. I had to try harder than everybody else. Yeah, constantly. And it is, and it's seen as early as seven in you. The performance pressure. Because that's what that was. You were expected to perform a certain way because you had said it. Right. You had manifested that, and so you were principle-bound at that point at seven. And do you have any clue where that comes from? Do you have any idea why, at seven years old, you would have to hold to a value that wasn't yours? Because children at seven don't hold that as a value. Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, a lot had happened in my life up to that point, you know, that I, I can't really, I don't know what specifically would, you know, contribute to that. Well, it's an interesting thing to look at, right? Yes. Maybe you can dive deeper into it and see what else you can come up with. So that was the first question that we asked last week. We talked for 10 minutes about <laughs> about yeah. that. But um, So we're going to ask another question this week. Okay, yes. Are you ready for this? No. I, <laughs> I have a stack. We're going to switch it up a little bit, though. First, you'll draw, and we'll talk about it, and then I'll draw, and then we'll talk about that one. So we'll do two, because I think that most of these we can get through very quick. We'll see. We'll see what we have time for this podcast. All right. So I'm trying to fan them out, but I have a bigger stack, so I'm not doing very well. So I'm going to set them right here and try to fan them out. I have an entire folder. <laughs> so you pick. All right. I'm picking for you. You're picking for you. Okay. Yeah. Why do you pull such heavy questions? Okay. Because I'm a heavy person. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Is suffering a necessary part of the human condition? What would people who never suffered be like? People who never suffered would look like the people on, what was that movie? Um, Wally. Entitled. People so who never suffered. in your little floaty chairs, blimps, you know, in your own... In your own comfort. Wellness, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because of choices. So is um, suffering a necessary part of yes. the human condition? Yes, it is. Tell me why. Because it's like a forge. You know, it hards you up. You know, it creates it is, a, a tougher you. <clears throat> it's really what my entire belief system is, is that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger because it's the resilience that is our purpose. See, if we just started life and we coasted through, we have no purpose. Our purpose is to learn, to change, and to affect our environment, to affect our brethren, to affect the human race, right? So it's learning, growing, advocating, you know, and, and teaching others. I mean, it has to come full circle, right? So if you never suffered... You never knew suffering. You couldn't teach anyone anything because you'd have no knowledge of the world, right? Because my my entire foundation is practice is progress. And in order to be a progressive person, you have to practice doing something different. You have to every single day change because life is not, a beginning and an end we don't just we're not just born and then die we're not gnats right we actually have a whole process in between of change and then even after we die life's not over because energy lasts forever so every single video that I've done every single word that I've written every single thought and feeling that I've had in my life has affected my environment right yes so therefore I'm never dead I will never, ever die. I can promise you that. Because even after my body is gone, my kids and their kids, and even if they don't have kids, I've affected kids that aren't even in my family. You know? 
And that's what a real legacy is. A real legacy is making sure that you impact your line, that you impact your um, community, that you impact the world in some way, right? Yes. If you never went into the military, how much would you know about yourself right now? I can't predict that because I don't know. No, I'm asking you to speculate. I'm asking you to totally speculate. Because uh, there's a reason we don't normally do this. There's a reason you don't normally speculate, is because you don't know what the variables are. Right, right. Um, but I mean, in this instance, I'm asking you, given those variables, what would be the outcome? Gosh, given the mindset that I was in whenever I first got in the military, or knowing what I know now? No, given the mindset you were in the military. If you had not gone into the military back then, who would you have been? God. And be honest. I don't think I would have amounted to much. I think I would have ended up um, feeling trapped in Greenville, Texas, and working in one of their local factories making peanuts and um, barely having enough to survive. Do you think you would have become codependent? Probably. Now, code- I, 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 you know, sometimes, I mean, I think it's only recently, <clears throat> and I'm starting to break some of those old habits, you know, I can be a clingy person, very clingy, especially when I'm feeling insecure. And um, It's fixing the insecurity that fixes the clinginess. Right. Yeah. Okay, but when I, when I say that, I mean, kind of in, um, not just with people. Codependency doesn't just have to be with people because codependency, if you're a codependent person, you're typically also an addict. You're dependent on something. So it's not just a codependency. It's if you don't have someone else to be dependent on, then you're dependent on a substance. Yeah. For me, it was it would be an obsession. Well, you had drugs and alcohol. You had experience with nicotine because you were a smoker and you also drank. Yes. Did you gamble? No. Did you take any unnecessary risks? Except for being in, you know, the army, aside from, you know, choosing that job. Right, and that's what I mean. So outside of the military, just you before you went in. No, not really. I mean, you weren't even a smoker when you went in. So you did not smoke. Staunchly opposed to smoking. Yeah, I remember, and I bought you your first Zippo. Yeah, I was that person. (laughs) You know, if you quit smoking now... I, And the whole thing is, I bought you a Zippo knowing that you would start smoking because everyone that went into the military started smoking. So that's the whole reason I bought it for you was you were going into the military. Yeah, You were going to be a smoker now. It was like a rite of passage. Yeah, When I came out, I certainly was. Mm -hmm. So you smoked only after you got in. What about drinking? Did you drink before you went in? Occasionally. Not often. Socially, you did. Because you yeah. drank with us. Yeah. My ex and I. Yeah. Um, but outside of the, those, you know, those sort of protected situations, I, I wasn't a drinker. But when I got in the Army, it was like, no holds barred. Um, the weekends from Friday to, to, to as far late Saturday as I could stay awake, I was drinking. And I was smashed almost the whole time. Okay. So not only did you drink but you did experiment somewhat you took some acid once right i did um that was at a friend's house this was during my civilian time and it was overall i wasn't very happy with the experience it wasn't this euphoric you know oh this is so cool you know um 
I tracers and everything like you know they all predicted and that was kind of neat but something would make me laugh and then I wouldn't I couldn't stop laughing mm. like no matter what and even in my head I was saying this is uncomfortable I want to stop laughing it's not even funny anymore I couldn't stop laughing <laughs> I wish I had seen that that would have been amazing and, you know and, and my my friends that were with me were like you know I was talking to them about stuff and they said that they couldn't understand what I was saying. But to me, I was completely articulate. <laughs> Were you high smart? Uh, no, I was I was a mess. Oh, okay. I did not enjoy that at all. <clears throat> so Never did again. <laughs> so the picture that you're painting, you were also, even though you were into video games and stuff like that, you were a poor student. Crap, I forgot to turn off my phone. You were a poor student in school. Yes. Um, because you didn't apply yourself at all. No. Okay, so you were a lazy student. Right? That's one thing. Um, but you were a square. You did not really have a social life or anything like that, right? Correct. Okay. So what, what we used to call a reject. <laughs> you were a reject. I don't think you were a reject. You were wonderful. But when you went into the military, you were aiming to change that status. Yeah. Become a man or die trying. Right. And that really is what your mindset was. So... If you had not gone into the military, because that's what I'm posing to you, if you had not experienced suffering, who would you be now? I would probably be that person that you knew, you know, back in those days, that sort of flighty kind of whimsical kind of good person. And um, I wouldn't, you know, we have some, the of that, some of that extra baggage, you know, on my shoulders. So you would have stayed stuck? Probably. Okay. I think it was, you know, as much as the, as the military uh, doctrine, you know, hurt me, it helped me. Yeah, you said be a man or die trying. And what that really means is become mature or fail. Yeah, all I so, wanted to do was be successful. That was it. Yeah. And I was failing at school. And it, was the, it wasn't like... I didn't have problems. I, could, I mean, intellectually, I could understand what I was doing. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't care. I was too depressed to give a fuck. Yeah, you were super, super lazy about it. Now, we know that negative thinking causes depression. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of negative thoughts swimming around in your head when you were young because you had sort of a, a rough upbringing. But your family y'all all still talk i mean there wasn't tragedy beyond right no no it wasn't like and wasn't crazy right and so you have experienced a lot of what many people experience many kids which is you know alcoholism divorce um domestic violence yeah so, i think the, the bulk of what i experienced you know rides in the realm of um neglect there you go um and physical abuse and that's what I was getting to those were really the hardships that um, shaped your suffering now if you fast forward into you got into the military and obviously there's some suffering there yeah I could become a, um, a tougher meaner person and you know capable of killing yeah and and as long as you did what everyone else did you felt like you were productive so the military for you felt productive and you were concerned about being lazy. And so that's why, you know, you were like, I have to do this. Yeah. Soldiers, to me at the time, were like the, the example of doing. 
You know, there wasn't this yuppie civilian lifestyle of, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it, maybe after my golf games. No, they were taking care of business. But that's luxury, see? You know, before 9 a.m., we really do a lot more than yeah, anybody else. Yeah, but guess what, though? It's your choice to do that. It is. Some people choose to live in luxury. You know, I like to get up in the morning at 4.20. I like to smoke a bowl. I like to then go get in the shower. I like to then come in here and have my coffee and watch my news and read my emails yeah. and socialize, right? That's luxury. Right. Because oh, yeah, I didn't. But look, because, <laughs> yeah, because I didn't always have that, you know, because we're parents of four children, right? So we've raised four children. Our youngest one is nine. Our oldest one is 18. So we've been doing that. We also have my dad living here, and he's 79, so we're raising him too. Um, we have pets. We have dogs, cats, chinchillas. We always have something to keep us busy, right? Mm -hmm. That's how my entire life was because I grew up on a farm. And then after farm life, I moved to the city and, you know, started to get in trouble. See, that's what happens when you take somebody out of an environment that they're really accustomed to growing in, right? Because it was the farm life was growth every single day. You learned and got to see something new every single day from animals to plants to people, right? I had constant growth. Whenever I got to the city and you realize that people just do stuff for you, you can pay somebody to bring you food. Yes. I did not. I had no clue that that was a thing. Like, none of that stuff. And so your example of Wally is exactly what comes to mind. If I had not suffered on the farm, I would have been very entitled. It's very interesting what, you know, some things like that will teach us. And even the, the subtlest lessons. Like, when I, uh, my first, one of, some, one of my first memories, one of them, is flying to the United States. Yeah, from Germany. That, I remember that flight. Um, and then living with my Aunt Helen, and then living in some, like, some slum house, and then having a stepdad living in another place who was abusive, and then not having that, and then Mom leaving us all together with our mm -hmm. grandparents and had no idea where the hell she was. So I developed a... a I didn't have roots anywhere. Yeah. And so my pattern was to keep moving. Yeah. If life got difficult, I just went I just left, ran away. And um, that's what I learned from my mom. Run from your problems. Yeah, and from your dad, you learned addiction. Drink your problems away. You also learned that from your mom, but you learned not to do it from your mom. So you looked at your mom's addiction and you were, yeah. and you said, that is neglectful. I won't do that to myself because yep. I'll be neglecting myself. Whereas drinking for you was entertainment. After a while, I realized there was, that was the lesson in it all was, yeah. this is what you do and this is what you don't. If you do this, this is what happens. You know, if you want to know how your life will be, if you make certain choices, just look at your folks. Yeah. It's pretty easy because typically you repeat your folks cycle, right? And I did. And, I was doing that for a long time. I was living my dad's life. Uh-huh. Oh, you didn't turn yours off either. Yeah, Look at us. It's an alarm. We got everything else ready, but then we always forget that. You can't silence your alarms. But you can turn it off, Dingus. I have like 10 alarms on my phone. Well, <laughs> you could have fixed that. This house is always busy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, your, your military career is what shaped you because you had to learn a lot of lessons and learn to adapt quickly and more effectively 
than what you were because before you were actually being told to go from one place to another and they were providing it all. Yeah. That your parents provided it all. You were codependent on your parents, obviously, because you were a kid. And then you went into a career that made you codependent on the government. Yeah. And, you know, you developed that, you know, you're in, you, you know that you're in this machine now and, you know, you need to perform, period. You know, unless you're going to be the messed up part of the machine. Right. And it's like being in band, too. You know, and so, you, know you better know how to play that instrument, right? You know, when, when crap gets difficult, you know, you just kind of lean forward a little bit, put your eyes forward, and then you march on. <laughs> so that's not what you have to do in life, though. That's what you have to do in the military career because in life, life doesn't say fixate on something and move that direction. It says learn along the way because there's people that are willing to help you because it's their job, their purpose. They've learned the lesson and it's their job to teach it. Remember I told you that that's the circle. So if you are not allowing someone else to teach you something, you're actually shitting on the universe. You're saying, you know what universe? I don't need this lesson. Take your shit and shove it. I don't need this person to tell me my business. I'm grown. I'm grown, right? Yeah. But guess what? None of us are grown until we're dead. And then we're still not grown. We're just dead, right? You cannot possibly grow to know everything. You can't. But experience and human suffering takes us there. Um, You know, when I did forensics, that's what I learned. Human suffering sucks. It really does. And I was exposed to things that I didn't know um, I wouldn't enjoy. Because in your mind, you build something up, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the horror movies. You see, you know, mayhem and murder and all that, and you're like, oh, that's really interesting. Or you see a mystery, and you're like, oh, I could solve that. But guess what? Real world... If you could solve mysteries, your life wouldn't be one. (laughs) And I guarantee you everybody's life is a mystery to them because we can't possibly know or or predict what another person's going to do. We can only predict what we're going to do, right? We all all kind of walk around in circles asking a series of the same questions like, why me? Yeah, why me? What's my purpose? Well, the whole reason you is because the universe deemed you worthy of learning a lesson. And what that looks like is you break in your glasses, right? You break your glasses and you're like, man, I should have had another pair. Like <gasps> losing a man outside of an airplane. Wait, <laughs> yeah. So, so what's the lesson in that? If the universe keeps making you lose your only pair of glasses, maybe you should either see if there's something else you can do because you're not responsible enough for glasses or you need a backup pair until you can learn to be responsible, right? It's the universe gives you lessons. You just have to pay attention. And the lesson is always in the suffering because that's how you remember shit. Yeah, that's how you practice failures than your from your success. If you have never failed at anything, you've never grown because no one is perfect right out of the gate. And if they are, they're a prodigy. And then I want them on the show. Hi, Jesus. Yeah, right. You teach us a few things. Okay, so you answered that and I answered that. Um, I think we answered all of that, right? Yeah, I think um, to to answer it more directly, um, suffering is necessary, like lifting weights. You know, if you want to become strong, you're gonna to have to work your muscles. If you want to grow and become um, a stronger person, you're gonna to have to challenge your life. And people who have never suffered would be stuck. They would be stuck wherever they are right now. Because when suffering comes, they don't know how to handle it. 
Yeah, they they check out. Um, I did it for a long time, for many years. Suffering would come, and I would just blinders on. Oh yeah, the minute somebody gives you bad news, or the minute you know somebody says, "Oh, you can't do this," you just shut down and say, "Okay, I can't." You're right. It's in black and white. You gave me this, so it must be true, right? There you go. But guess what? That person that gave you that document that says that you have to do this or you're going to die is a person just like you. <laughs> it took me a long time to understand that how much of my own life is in my control. And virtually all of it. Virtually, <laughs> all yeah. Of it. It's literally all of it's in your um, control. You know, I can rely on other people to tell me my business or I can just know my own business because <laughs> I know who I am. I know what I feel like. Yeah, and it, there's a point that you realize that if nobody's interested in you, it's because you're not interesting. Yeah. And because I, in, order for, is... in order for you to be interesting, you actually have to be interested in other things. Yeah. Um, it's one of, my, one of my, my difficulties with dealing with people. So I don't feel like I'm an interesting person at all. Then you're not. If you feel like you're not, right. it's, you're not. So then that means you need some diversity and you need to listen to what other people are interested in, right? Mm -hmm. Just like how you changed up your music style. You listened to us. We weren't interested in reliving the 80s. Mm -hmm. We were interested in living now. And as soon as you got that perspective, you're like, oh yeah, I can see how y'all would want to live now. Yeah, you I were agree. opposed to remixes. <laughs> and um, you know, I appreciate a lot of the diversity I've gained, but it doesn't really change how I feel. You know, I still feel like, you know, anything I offer is like, eh. What do you mean? Just that, um. I'm having I, more coffee, It's folks. like, I don't like to talk about myself. And I feel like that if I'm offering my own knowledge, um, I'm talking about myself. And then I find that whenever I do start doing that, I'm like, God, I'm just talking about myself. Yeah, you're supposed to. That. If we don't want to listen, we'll walk away, but you're assuming our feelings for us. Mm -hmm. So you're oh, assuming I do that a lot too. Yeah, you're assuming that we're going to be annoyed because you're talking about yourself. But let's face it, I'm annoyed whenever you don't talk about yourself. Because I'm actually interested in who you are. I'm not interested in learning who you think I am. I know who I am. I'm grown. <laughs> you don't got to tell me. But I'm interested in who you are and what makes you tick as a person, right? Yeah. And so if you're talking about yourself, you're actually inviting me in to a very special world. Yeah, I had a, um, a lot of different things happen since transition began. And a lot of it is, is learning who I am. Because I had all of these ideas in my head of what I liked, you know, based on my masculine life. And, you know, this is... And, you know, I, I got a lot of pleasure in more masculine things because it, it helped me to, you know, to be that. Right. And now that that that's, that mask is gone, I'm like, okay, now who the fuck am I? Um, what do I actually like? Yeah, and you know? some of that stuff that you liked, you're still going to like because that's who you are. Like, you know, yeah. like me. Like the, the video game thing. My heart's not in it anymore. I mean, I don't need it anymore. I That was my escape and... That was your addiction, and that's what I was sort of talking I like, about. Yeah, I still like to play, but yeah. it's not near what it used to be. But you've been codependent your whole life, and so when the military was no longer that thing you were dependent on, you had to hurry and find something else, mm -hmm. and that was video games. You got out of the military, and your life was video games. That became yeah. 
your your I didn't have a mission anymore, so I had to create missions for myself constantly. And even though the mission was, oh, help take care of the kids, help take care of the house, you couldn't hear any of that because all you were focused on was that one pinpoint. You know, get your eyes forward and move to the target, and that's yeah. what you were doing. And the target was always you. You were always moving into yourself constantly, and so you were self destructing mm -hmm. on a regular basis, right? practically daily so when you finally got that paper that said hey you are valid in self-destructing because you have this thing called transsexualism so when you finally got that black and white paper that I kept telling you to I kept telling you stop trying to get this piece of paper you know who you are the right. longer you sit there and want somebody else to tell you who you are the longer you don't know who you are yeah it, it and you were hell-bent on getting that diagnosis because as soon as someone gave you a diagnosis, then you could be right. Yeah, I wouldn't have anybody tell me I'm delusional. Who gives and, a fuck uh, if someone tells you that anyway? Well, that's the problem. That's, that's, that's where point. I was then. It's like I was not valid unless I had you know, a professional, somebody who went to school to do this, tell me my business. Yeah, and but they're could, not then trans, Then I could live and be human because somebody else said that I could live and be human. Yeah, but it's funny because you go to people who aren't trans and have no experience right. with trans at all. Right, it doesn't make any sense, does you it? You go to somebody who read in a book that when somebody tells you this key phrase, it means that it could be one of these five diagnoses. Now, which one is it? Let's talk about your history. Yeah. Let's talk about your family. Let's talk about why does it matter what happened in the past or how you got to where you are right now? It matters where you are right now, right? So right now, you knew that you were trans. Right then, you knew that you were trans and you really didn't need somebody to tell you that you were. But when I got that paper, it was hollow. It was absolutely hollow. It was, it was completely meaningless because it was in that moment that I realized that I didn't even need it. That you were being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you know yeah. what? Sometimes the truth is just, it's in here. It's in here. You know who you are, and you know what you want. And if you don't know who you are, and you don't know what you want, that's when you go see a professional, right? And that's when you can come see a life coach. Me, Guru Brando, right? It's Sacred Grows Transformational Pathways in Highland, Illinois. <laughs> you nice like that plug, plug right? Nice plug. Okay, so I'm going to real quickly pull one. Okay. And if it's too deep, we'll talk about it next time. Ooh, I oh, don't like so that one. So if it's too deep, you're going to be Look, like, I don't have Look, I can't believe you I'm picked such a deep one. I mean, seriously. It wasn't me. It was the universe. Yeah, the universe is really speaking to us today. <laughs> I can't stand this. I can't okay. stand this. Oh, look at you being all OCD. I love it. Is happiness just chemicals flowing through your brain or something more? That's the Why? question of the hour, isn't it? Okay. But we're so, all chasing after. So happiness, you're killing me, Smalls. About that. So happiness is absolutely chemicals flowing through the brain, but it's also this seed of potential inside of us. So we are all born with the potential to be happy. So it's just a, a natural thing. We don't have to do anything to, to fan those flames other than change. Yeah. We have to grow through suffering. So this ties directly back into that other one. Because only through growing through that do you, do you get the release of those chemicals that cause happiness.
I think one of the biggest things for me Serotonin was, was understanding that that I was in control of my happiness in in the most fundamental way. Thoughts, you know, I don't have to be depressed because it's you know if I start thinking about depressive crap, I'm gonna get depressed. And I'm gonna go down into you know, pit, <laughs> and you're gonna and listen gonna, to Metallica. I'm gonna, mope, I'm gonna mope around all day and listen to The Cure. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy, Mandy, <laughs> and um. But I, I've learned that, you know, sometimes, I mean, I do have, you know, conditions that, that pull me in that direction. And so I have to be aware of it. And whenever I'm aware of it, I can remember the thoughts and be like, okay, well, let's just change my thought patterns up real quick into something that's going to make me smile. You know what I say a lot, and I know you hear me say it, when um, somebody's doing something or, or I see something that's a little bit offensive, I say, well, I don't like that at all. That doesn't make me happy. <laughs> and if I say that doesn't make me happy, then that means I'm acknowledging out loud that I'm in a situation that I'm uncomfortable and I have a choice to make. I either choose to A, grow through that discomfort. That means that I stand there and I look at whatever it is that's offensive and try to have some flexible thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Or I simply say, mm, not my circus, not my monkey. I don't have to be uncomfortable. So what determines that? What determines when we want our happiness? When we figure it out, it comes with awareness. When you, when, you, when you become aware of how much control you have over your life, it all of a sudden you know, it makes sense. So how it's did, like, oh, I don't, there's so, not a lot of need from any other person. So how did you decide you wanted to be happy? Because that's when we realized that we're actually just not creating happiness. Um, it's not that we have... Tr such tragic trauma roots it's that we're not creating something better yeah it is because you know I kind of got stuck in this you know uh, my life sucks right now and that's one of the worst things that you can tell yourself is my life sucks, sucks. yeah because somebody's because life sucks yeah, worse it, it doesn't suck. you could be dead yeah it, and it could always be worse yeah so if you're you know like and for me sitting in those moments trying to just hate myself and hate life and everything like that. It just, it takes so much energy. Ah, uh, yeah. It, and I say this, it takes more effort to make an excuse than to make a goal. So you can make a goal, one goal, and never have to make an excuse again. You don't have to excuse crap. You don't have to say, oh, you know, well, I didn't get this done because I ran out of time. No, the reality is you didn't prioritize it, right? Um, you don't have to say, uh, oh, well, I got sick because I didn't get enough sleep. Okay, well, why didn't you get enough sleep? Well, I didn't get enough sleep because I was choosing to stay up and watch Shameless for, you know, five extra episodes because <laughs> I binge watch Shameless. So then I'm tired. And then the next day it's go time because then I have to work all day and through the night. So then I was running on seven hours of sleep for the past three days. <laughs> and it all started because I decided, you know what, I can stay up an extra hour or two. And that, my friends, is when you choose what your happiness is. Because you can either choose happiness in the moment, which looks like comfort, that's really what that is. If you're choosing happiness in the moment, it's comfort. If you're choosing happiness as a long-term goal, that's a lifestyle change, right? Yeah, and it really is. It's a lifestyle. You have to, 
to choose to surround yourself with the things that make you happy. Yeah. You have to reject the things that, that bring you down. Yeah, the toxic things, the excuses. And that's one thing that I have to be really careful about because I have a tendency to fall into depression along with my anxiety because I have PTSD. And it's so easy, too. It's like a warm blanket, and you're cuddling up, and yeah, it feels and so good. And then you realize that you're thinking about killing yourself. Yeah, and the moment I realize that I'm fixating on killing myself, I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay, I could be dead. That's right. But if I'm dead, what do I miss? Yeah, exactly. And that's Who what cares? you have to do because... Well, what, what difference does it all make anyway? Yeah, because that means if you kill yourself, you seriously undid everything that you've done through your whole life to get to that point. It's like the most selfish thing that anybody could do. It really is. And um, and it's hurtful to everyone yeah, else. Every, yeah, everybody that's connected to you, you is forever affected. Yeah, you affect everyone. And, you know, there's a reason why... In a family, if there's one person in a family that's committed suicide, there's typically somebody else that does. Because it then becomes that notion, well, you know, my uncle killed himself. And and the family was okay. They were sad for a while, but nothing horrible happened, right? But then they're looking at themselves and not seeing that the only reason they want to kill themselves is because their uncle did. You know, because he found a way out. Somehow a family norm. It, yeah, it does. It becomes very normal, and and it's sad because that was normal for both of us. Um, you I know, my mom talked about. My family, though. Oh but no, mom, but mom, mom talked, talked about. about yeah. It, yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna go in my life. But guess what? Our moms did. Instead of actually killing themselves, right then, they they slowly did it. Yeah, so yeah. they were slowly selfish, and they were consumers. So they consumed your energy. They consumed their addiction. Your mom on pills. And my mom with alcohol. Yeah, by the time my mom actually died, she she was already gone years. Yeah, that that was my mom too. We have the same experience. So they consume and consume and consume because they're trying to fill a void. And I consume, consume, consume. I eat, I vape, I I drink caffeine, and I was a drug addict. I was dependent on a lot of things. And it was because I wanted those happy little feelings, those chemicals in my brain, you know. I did not know what happiness was unless I was using drugs. Yeah. And guess what? You came into my life again after, you know, going into the army, you came into my life again and you fired up all those happiness things again. I wasn't thinking so negatively. I had a goal and I had a reason to exist outside of myself. And to me, that's what happiness is. And that's human nature. Happiness means existing for a purpose happiness means that even if you're just existing to feed your dog in the morning that dog counts on you there's something there right yeah and <laughs> that makes you happy one thing that's that's come to the surface for me is i have this like insatiable need to feed people yes you do and i've gained 60 pounds since you started cooking beth i've gained 60 pounds that's funny because i lost 30. <laughs> That's because you're doing all the cooking now. And it, it I know it just works that way. It's weird. I don't know. You're dumb. For... I, you know, I totally expected when I got on, on estrogen that oh, my weight was going to get out of control. I was going to be large and just unhappy with myself. But I'm in the best shape of my life right now. That's because you smoke weed. I smoke weed. I eat well and I exercise a lot. Yeah. 
And you have a fantastic husband that happens to be a life coach. That's right. I yeah. think a lot of it is the mental wellness I've gained, you know, that helped me to have a more positive aspect about myself. It's happiness. You know, it's, it just is. It's happiness whenever you can step back and go, I'm in control of my life and my choices. I get to choose when I'm happy and what makes me happy. All you have to do is look at your life and go, I don't like that. That doesn't make me happy. And when you start doing that and you realize how many things that you have in your life cluttering up, then you're like, you know what? It doesn't make me happy. I can look around my room right now and everything that I can see with an eye shot makes me, <laughs> makes me happy. And the stuff that doesn't make me happy, I have no intention on holding on to. So I'm looking around my room going, if you don't make me happy, you're going to go next. <laughs> you know? I remember one of the... Um... One of the things that, that kind of, when we lived in Germany and I was working for Mr. Smith and with Parrish and, and Wellborn, um, Mr. Smith had said something. Wellborn, weenie yeah. on the leg. <laughs> God, don't, you can't just say that without context. Oh, it'll come up later. Okay. Um, Y'all asked me about weenie <laughs> on the leg and Wellborn. Okay, oh, go ahead. That's the little Easter egg in this one. Um, we were having a lot of trouble because where I worked, we were developing new systems, you know, for our, our, our intel sections, you know, new, better ways to, to bug out, you know, and keep all your stuff intact. Um, for those listeners who don't know, Beth was an intel analyst in the Army. For nine years. For nine years. Before that, you were what? Infantry. Frontline infantry. <laughs> Frontline infantry. And to date me, I was 11 Mike, which is doesn't exist anymore. But sure don't. Basically a Bravo. <laughs> you an old timer. Go ahead. Um, well, what he, he said is that because every time we were trying to develop something and we would run it, you know, through the Jock Security Standards, and um, that's Joint Operations Center. And um, I knew what it was, but go ahead. They would always kick it back and be like, "You can't do that because you know you can't have these wires too close to these. You can't have your secret wires too close to your TS wires because there's you know." <laughs> Uh, electromagnetic bleed over and blah 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 they had to be 18 inches apart and I'm like well that's shenanigans because I've never seen it 18 inches apart even while we we're in the theater but either way people Mr. don't Smith know what said, theater is either Mr. Smith said instead of trying to figure out instead of trying to come up with why you can't do something figure out how you can do something not yeah. why you can't but how you can right that's what I do every and, single day you know, with my that, clients that resonated with me and it was like okay I get it now yeah, it's removing that do not, can't, won't, don't know. It's removing all the negative language that comes first. And it's like and replacing you, it with the language that's better. If you ask yourself that question instead, all of a sudden the answers start to show up. Yeah, so give an example. Um, I mean, I can go with just to my transition alone is, is one because I, was, I had a million excuses why I couldn't. What was one? Just give one excuse. Um, because I'm delusional, it's not real. Okay, and that's what spawned you trying to go get a diagnosis. And man, whenever I started transitioning and I went straight into the doctor and I told them, look, this is what I was, I was treated for when I was 19 at the psychiatrist. This is what they told me. This is what I know about it. I think that this is probably what it is. And she looked right at me and she said, okay so let me get you a letter together and she just went into it talking to me like I knew what I was talking about mm -hmm. 
That was the first person that truly inspired me to just fucking listen to people. And her name is Felicia. And um, she was really pivotal with us. I love that woman. And you know, she pissed Felicia me off. Porter. She pissed me off so bad in the beginning because I was the angsty ass, unhappy person that didn't want to hear that I was in control of everything. Mm-hmm. And so she pulled the same shit with me that I pull with my clients. And I ask a whole lot of questions that make you tell me why you deserve to keep living. Because you're going to come up with a hundred reasons why you can't keep living. I can't tolerate this. I can't do that. I might as well not even exist. I might as well not be here. I, you know, my parents were right. I'm just a failure. All of these things, all these excuses to, to keep you stuck. Or the biggest one that I hear from people all the time. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not healthy enough to make it five more years or ten more years. Well, if you keep telling yourself that, you're not going to be. If you keep telling yourself that you're just obese and that's who you are, you're just going to continue to be obese. If you keep telling yourself you're a smoker, you're just going to keep being a smoker. Yeah. So where is your motivation? Whenever I was, um, I was unhappy with, with my weight when I weighed 175 pounds. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I loved it. You actually had love handles. It was great. Yeah, I just, I just... I felt like everything made me tired. You know, yeah. I, was, I was eating so much sugar. I was eating so much fat. And it was, you know, and I wasn't doing anything. Mm-mm. I was sitting on my ass playing, playing video, video games. games all day. And that's how I got fat. Yeah. And um, You didn't even have very good self-care, like, in, to be honest. And, um, but once I, I, and I was like, I need to lose some weight. I need to, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. And talked about it with myself and never actually did it. And then once I actually got up and started doing stuff, when I taught myself how to cook, you know, and started being more active in the house. Actually, <laughs> you told me, you told me that I inspired you because you watched me drop weight and you were like, you know you what? You did. When we, when you yeah, were on was, the keto diet for a while. Yeah, it, you, well, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't being on the keto diet that did it. It was realizing what I could and couldn't eat. Right. Um, and that's actually why I went on the keto diet because initially... Um, cause I have stuff wrong with my stomach. Okay. Um, I have neuropathy and because I have neuropathy, it affects my digestion. And so food would set in my stomach and it would ferment. And I learned that there's certain foods that if you combine the two, make the fermentation more and cause more trouble. So like if you eat certain meat with vegetables and eat them at the same time, one rots at a different, um, pace than the other. So you have to you have to combine food properly right so it's sort of like prescriptions so i started eating more naturally intuitive eating that means only eating when you're hungry and only small amounts you know all of these things i learned because i had it in that way whenever my clients come in and they have the same trouble i can talk to them about their diets right so cleansing helps like if you do like you know what i did was just Nothing but like three months of, of no meat. Yeah, yeah. Do and, that and it'll clear your system out. Yeah. And Any impaction gone. Yeah, then you can um, start to absorb nutrients again the right way. Yeah, and since I've been um, medicating properly, um, I eat a lot more and I, and I eat a lot. Like every time you see me, I got food in my hand. But I can't get my weight up over 145. Right. But I'm also so active in the house and we have a million stairs here. <laughs> Just to be clear, we both suffer from PTSD. And um, I also suffer from OCD, 
and um, neuropathy, which is why I have my medical marijuana card. Before I started smoking it, I was on 13 prescriptions. I thought it was just nine until I went back over my list the other day, and it was actually 13. Oh, excuse me. And I declared at that moment um, that I was so sick and in the bed that I wanted to be happy. And that's what the question was that, you know, I, I asked you is when did you decide that you wanted that happiness and wanted to change? And it was when you saw that I could actually be happy. Yeah. I'm a lot of, I, I'm a you visual learner. You needed examples. Yeah. I'm a very visual learner and you just gave me the right example. And then when I saw it, I was like, you know what? I get to do this too because I'm also human. Yeah. I get, I get to live. Realizing that you're human just like me and just like the doctor that wrote you the damn PTSD diagnosis, right? You struggled with that diagnosis for a while. I did, but not as much as I struggle with my COPD diagnosis. That was tough. Yeah, you do. You have COPD. How does it affect you? Um, I have asthmatic-like attacks periodically, um, almost daily, mostly at night when I'm sleeping. Um, and I have an inhaler for it, and that's kind of how I manage it. I, you know, I, I don't really take in anything that's harmful to me. Um, I try to avoid allergens, but we live in a really old house, and so I'm going to smell dust. I'm going to smell things, so it's just life. But you, know? you are stepping up your game a little bit, making sure that the dog hairs up and that the dust yeah, is keeping done. keeping the place clean. Yeah, and all of those things, we get to decide if it makes us happy or not. If you don't like doing it, you can hire someone to do it. That's what is the advantage now versus then. Whenever you're young, you're not thriving yet. You're just learning how to do things, and you don't have luxury. When you become an adult, that's when you realize that you get to have luxury. That means your needs are met, and outside of your needs, the rest is luxury. You can actually see your life as luxurious, even if it just means getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to have yourself a bowl and a cup of coffee. Awake and bake. That's a luxury for me because, damn it, I didn't always have that. No. I could not always medicate properly. I was using drugs. I was using street drugs, heroin and coke. I was doing that crap, you know. I was eating out of dumpsters. I mean, for shit's sake. Now I have a wife who actually willingly cooks really good food. I have, you know, the money to afford medication, you know, the medication that is healthy for me. Um, or healthier, a healthier alternative to pharmaceuticals, and that's for me. I'm not saying everybody can do that, but that's where I find my happiness, is being able to control my health and my wellness in a more natural way. Yeah. So wouldn't you say your happiness comes from me? <laughs> Absolutely. That's me. I am everybody's little ray of sunshine. Or, or is it from my choice to choose you? Oh, your choice to choose me. Well, I guess I ch ch choose you too. <laughs> um, is there anything that you want to say to our listeners and our viewers right now? Um, hmm. Just that the choice is always yours. Piss or get off the pot, it people. Really yep. If you want to make change happen in your life, make it happen. Yeah. It's weird. I had no idea where this podcast was going to go whenever we started. Um, because the only thing really that I wanted to talk about was that street fair that we went to with Mandy. 
And do you see how just pulling two questions out of thin air created an hour-long podcast? So if two questions printed on paper like this, look here. If these two little questions printed on paper can elicit an hour-long conversation that has deep meaning, you should probably find yourself some questions, right? And guess what? You can find those questions right here. It's Sacred Groves <laughs> Transformational Pathways. Find me at www.sgpathways.com. And don't forget to... Uh, I really thought you were going to plug me. That's what I was trying to do was get you to plug me. Don't ask why you can't do something. Ask how you can. Right, yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that I have an example of that too. I'll share it on the next podcast. <laughs> That's a cliffhanger. So thank everybody for listening and viewing. Do it. Thank everyone right now well, for listening and viewing. Thank you, everyone, for listening and viewing. Hope it was interesting. Entertaining, even. Yes, yes, even that. Entertaining. And everybody, I'm going to give you a little cheese moment. Because <laughs> that'll be for the thumbnail to trick you into watching this. Everybody, have a wonderful, fantastic day. Be brave, be well, and take out! Now I'm recording. Okay. So now. Hello. Check. Hello. 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 That's as loud as you get. This is as loud as, as I, as I want to comfortably get. Otherwise, I feel like I'm raising my voice. But you're not. Alright. Okay. I'm watching the thing. I can see the line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 whatever, whatever.